Welcome to the Supplemental Podcast. We are two licensed therapists sharing our therapeutic and personal perspectives. We hope this clinical and applicable insight will inspire you and challenge you to grow. All right, so today we are talking about EMDR. Some of you might be a little bit familiar with what this means or what it stands for, but today we're going to set this up a little bit different. I personally am not an expert on EMDR, and Tegan has a lot more expertise in this, so I'm going to interview her, and we're going to learn about EMDR. So, Tegan, we're going to start off with the very broad question of what is EMDR? What does that stand for? What does it mean? When I tell you what it stands for, you will forever understand why it is an acronym that we just say (laughs) EMDR. Um, It stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Try saying that 10 times fast. But EMDR started with eye movements, and we can dive into that a little bit more. But yeah, that's why they call it Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Thank God for acronyms. Yes, I I agree. This is one that you can't try to... You don't sound fancy if you try to say the whole thing. <laughs> it's just not at all. Much better to say it short and sweet. Um, okay, so we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna ask these questions based on someone who knows probably less rather than more about EMDR. So, um, just kind of dive in and give me an intro of what this is like. Why is this a certain type of therapy? Um, what would someone come in to treat this, uh, or what would they come in for? Um, that might be going on with them kind of just start from there so traditionally emdr is known as a form of empirically supported trauma treatment and it's definitely branched off into treatment for a lot of other presenting conditions but traditionally francine shapiro came up with it and i think the the backstory on it if i remember correctly was she was taking a walk in a park one day and she was thinking some things through and she moved her eyes back and forth back and forth back and forth and realized that as she was doing that similar to what we would do like when we're in REM sleep unconsciously there was a sense of calm and focus for her and so from there i think she was already a scientist or she was pursuing her studies she kind of did the backward scientific process which is she had this experience around processing some of her own material with eye movements and then found research and um, integrated that into her studies and found things to support that so at first when you hear about it like what is this this sounds so bizarre like what do you mean we're moving our eyes and we can talk into we can talk about a little bit of what seems weird about it but traditionally It's based in trauma treatment, PTSD, acute stress syndrome, anything that might fall under the trauma category. Okay, so I'm going to like hopefully not put you on the spot too much, but do you know how she made that? (laughs) Do you know how she made the jump from like, okay, she was walking in the park and did this thing with her eyes and it felt sort of like calming or focusing to her? Do you know how it transitioned into this being a good treatment for um, trauma? Do you know what I'm asking? I do, and I don't have the right answer. I could make one up, but I think that would be a disservice to Francine. But I do know that there is definitely research about her process. But my understanding is that when she kind of had this experience for herself that I think even confused her to some degree, she took that and applied it to work that she was already doing, which I think involved traumas or PTSD, and started experimenting with clients around this eye movement piece and seeing why that had a positive effect. And 
when it came down to it, it wasn't really the eye movements that necessarily made the big changes. It was about doing the eye movements with material that's being processed. And so those two things in tandem mm -hmm. is what created the change. Um, but I think it was you would just do trial and error, trial and error, helping people process things through because sometimes traditional talk therapy as expansive as it is and as effective as it is, it has certain limitations around some of those experiential pieces that really get locked in with trauma where it's like you can be logical about, oh, I am safe right now, but your whole body might be going offline or is totally triggered. And so EMDR, she found, or like the eye movements had a way of breaking through some of those residual effects that tend to linger when we go through traumas. Mm -hmm. So that just makes me, I'm just, I'm going to have so many questions. That makes me think of anxiety for a second. Like obviously we were talking about trauma, but I think anxiety is such a physical thing um, that someone's body is going through the roof and they might try to mentally tell their self, I'm okay. I don't need to be worried about this. I don't need to be anxious about this thing. So let's pretend for a second their anxiety is not related to a specific trauma. Um, would EMDR or would the eye movement thing be helpful for that person as well? Or, or is it kind of trauma specific? My answer is both yes and no. So if someone is presenting, let's say they're presenting with something like they're randomly getting anxiety when they hear car horns, but they don't know why there's no logical connection for that. But every time someone honks their horn behind them or, or beside them and it has nothing to do, they're just having this panic reaction. And so that might be what seems just like random anxiety. Would that kind of fit maybe an example yeah. that you're asking yeah. about? Okay. And so oftentimes when there's no connection in like consciousness around why am I having this really intense reaction to a seemingly neutral stimuli, sometimes there is something in your brain connected to that material. So for example... That car horn in and of itself is not a threat, but that car horn might be reminding your brain about something that you went through. So we can use an example. Let's say someone was boating when they were eight, that same old person that had that kind of car horn reaction in the present day. Maybe they were boating and one of their good friends got into a wakeboarding accident. And while that was happening, they heard a horn around them from a, a recent, like a ship that was going by or another boat they might not have a conscious awareness around that, like that horn, that sound is coded into their brain from a trauma when they watched their friend get severely hurt or injured. And so a lot of the time what EMDR does is it helps bridge those connections that might be unrelated that are causing issues in the present that are actually related to things that happened in the past. So for example, let's say a client came in and they're saying, I've got this weird thing going on with horns. I don't know what it is. It's gone on for years. It happened on the way here. I don't get it. We would start with an, a memory or a incident like that. And we can walk through the steps of EMDR, but essentially use the current trigger and see in the EMDR process if that's actually tied to something. And then if it is tied to something, which it's kind of neat how it just spontaneously comes up, like it's not a person talking themselves into, oh, it must be that. It's more experiential. So something will just kind of spontaneously come up and people will have these aha moments where they go, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about this for years. One time, my friend, we were wakeboarding and this and this and this, and then boom, their brain makes this connection. And then what happens? The car horn issue goes away. Or next time they hear a horn, they're able to tell their system, oh, nothing bad's happening now. That's just a trigger from the past. You're okay. 
and they are able to move on in ways that they were never able to move on from it before. That makes so much sense. And I think what's really cool about that is, like you said, now they have a point of reference. And so if they are in that place of, okay, I, I can tell myself to calm down. It's in my mind or my opinion, my mind, whatever. <laughs> um, it's going to be more effective, right? Because they're, they've made that connection. Whereas if that connection is not yet made, it's a lot harder for their body to be receptive when they're saying it's okay. We're fine right now. Right. Is that kind of how it goes you nailed it that is the bread and butter of why I am absolutely head over heels about the modality is because of that experiential piece and it integrates the body and just that like sometimes there's just a knowing within you or a sense within you but you can't quite put words to it or you can't talk yourself into feeling okay even if you're okay so yes you you nailed it 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 causes that shift to the degree that what more often than not happens with clients is we'll do some EMDR work. And at first they're like, this is so weird. What are we doing? Okay, I trust you, let's go for it. But they'll just, they'll have the memory still. Like that guy would still have the wakeboarding memory, but he'll look back on it and it'll just be like, oh yeah, that happened. The energy just isn't there anymore. Gotcha. But yeah, it just becomes objective. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, this obviously is first and foremost for trauma treatment. Um, is there any sort of, and I want to get to the steps of like, what does this really look like? If I were to come into your office and do EMDR, I want to get there. But real quick, I want to ask, are there any sort of limits? Like, is there an age that's too young? Is there any, like, if you have a pre-existing mental diagnosis or something like that, is there any limits to EMDR might not be the best fit for you if... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I'm going to be annoying and give you the same answer again. Yes and no. Um, clinically, yes. And when it comes to EMDR, there is a an assessment phase and just a preparation phase involved in it because the objective of trauma work is to not re-traumatize your patients. And sometimes what happens when people will try and dive into trauma work without proper training is they'll have a client tell them about their trauma and that in and of itself is actually perpetuating the problem. And so part of that assessment phase is being able to identify if a client might be a good fit for this. So let's say someone has a hard time visualizing things. They just don't process that way or they have a hard time really connecting with their body or the experiential piece of connecting mind and body is difficult for them. At first, you want to address those things and EMDR might not actually be a good fit because it could be frustrating for them or confusing um, or off-putting even. So that would be one. Second to that, somebody who's using substances or is overcoming an addiction, self-medicating, whatever form that might be, it is typically uh, it should be prohibited on some level because that in and of itself has to be addressed first and sobriety um, trumps it and then you can move towards EMDR and then sometimes too if a person is in the middle of too much stress at a point in time what I always say is like trauma comes up when it's ready to be healed and if a person is currently going through trauma and going through a ton of things and trying to dig up old stuff to heal that too sometimes it's just too much for the system and so Timing, I think, is everything when it comes to doing EMDR for people. But again, that can vary, which is why my yes-no answer applies. Sometimes people will get into a car crash and they do an EMDR session a couple of days later very quickly and they process right through it. And that, that material that could have translated into a trauma is no longer an issue because they worked it through. And so it's really a case by case, but it's such a good question. Um, and then other things, I think some mood disorders, it's not necessarily helpful for, um, if, there, if there's some psychosis or um, 
paranoia, hearing voices, um, delusions, things like that, it, it would be um, prudent to maybe not proceed with it. And then sometimes OCD, depending, actually OCD can be effective with it. But yeah, it's really case by case. But in general, it's pretty user-friendly for a wide spectrum of people. So I know this is probably a case-by-case answer too, but what about like if someone, um, so you mentioned the car crash, like someone gets in a car crash that's super traumatic, maybe they feared that they almost died, whatever it is, and they can go to EMDR maybe shortly after and kind of get through that. What about, are there, um, like I'm thinking of a certain client who um, his mom died in a really awful way. So what a, is there something to be said about um, a time frame of um, I don't even know how I'm trying to ask this like is it possible that you do it too soon do you know what I mean or as soon as that person is just ready it's okay that's where the assessment phase would definitely come in again let's say that person who lost their mom and like let's say they've already been doing some work and they have resourcing such as like they know how to calm their bodies they have some self-regulation skills they're able to self-reflect and articulate what's going on that person might be prime for emdr at the time but if it's someone who is going through 11 other very severe circumstances or is suffering with a lot of things at hand, or that person's trying to care for another loved one that that parent is no longer there for um, it comes back to the case by case, yeah. but yes, sometimes it actually can be very helpful to do it sooner rather than later. And sometimes it's actually better to wait. Gotcha. That's where it kind of full circle. What I'll say with to that is my personal belief, and I'll own that as my personal because each trauma practitioner probably has their own philosophy. But my philosophy is that the trauma will show you that it's ready to be addressed. And I can go into depth in that maybe some other time. That that's a whole different conversation, but if that person like the client you were talking about just knew i need to i need to be able to do some processing around this i'm stuck on this i'm looping on this issue they might totally be ready their system might be able to invite that in and process things through so okay if i am a client coming into you with some sort of trauma and i'm open to emdr um not that we have to do like a role play of it necessarily, but tell me like, what does it look like? I know you've mentioned the assessment phase, so there's obviously getting some history or background on the case, but um, what does it look like and kind of dive in and tell us about the eye movement and how you do that in session and that sort of thing? Yeah, so I'll give you part one and part two of this. Part one, I'll give you the formal eight steps and then part two, I'll tell you what it's like in real life because I think theory and practice are so important together, but they're often so different um, and separate from each other. So the formal eight steps are client history, which is where you would get a history. That's what I kind of was referring to as the assessment phase. You take a history of the client, what they've gone through, some of their traumas, big T traumas and small T traumas. I can explain what that is a little bit later. Um, and then from there, after you've gotten a history, kind of done an assessment, we can move forward, is the preparation phase. And the preparation phase kind of blends in. There's also the assessment phase after that. But preparation and assessment help you do what's called resourcing. And resourcing is where you will help provide the client with things like a safe space or um, nurturing figures or 
protective figures, which I can break that down to a little bit more, but those are resources. So let's say someone gets really, really triggered in a session. You want to be able to have that person calm themselves down and bring themselves back to some sort of a baseline and resourcing through a safe place or nurturing figures or protective figures. Uh, Higher power sometimes works for some people, help ground people as they're doing the trauma work. So that's the preparation phase. After preparation is like formal assessment, assessment of the trauma, assessment of what's going on, assessment of whether the client can tolerate the actual processing because again like i said before you don't want to throw people into trauma work and re-traumatize them like that is the golden rule and the the standard of utmost importance because if you do that that's just not beneficial so the assessment phase is making sure okay client has resources they can self-regulate we understand the history i think this is green light go let's go then you hit phase number four which is the desensitization process and that i mean it speaks for itself it's desensitization that's when you would do the formal processing some of the emdr work with audio tech i'll explain what that is too um but that's where you're taking for example the horn noise and you are able to process through emdr and kind of get that sense of oh my gosh it's actually related to this it's about that accident and all of the desensitization process happens through that, which I'm saying it like it's like a two minute thing that can be like five sessions. Um, but after you do the desensitization, you're able to recognize, OK, that's just not that big of a deal anymore, etc. There's the phase called installation. Um, and that is just installing a positive belief about the scenario. So the guy with the horn trigger can maybe install a positive cognition and, and make it his own like, oh, my gosh, I've actually just been resilient this whole time my body was trying to warn me like I am safe no one's dying nothing bad is happening right now that would be an example of like a positive cognition that's the installation and then body scan would be number six that's where you check in with all the physical physiological somatic symptoms that might be involved with the trauma and that kind of flows throughout the whole process and then closure and reevaluation, which I think speak for themselves those all have their other little sub categories but yeah closure reevaluation. you always want to contain each session at the end so like again golden rule you don't want to just send your clients out feeling traumatized the containment piece is okay let's leave this in the room or what object you kind of want to store that memory in and we'll come back to it um that would be closure and then reevaluation could be that debriefing debriefing around the material because sometimes people just want to connect the dots through their cognitions and just talking it through too so that's like a mouthful. And all of that oftentimes won't happen in one session because sessions are 50 minutes or 75 minutes. Right. So that's the the outline, at least, the formal outline. Are you going to ask something real quick? Yeah, I, and I know you said you'd give us kind of more the practical, this is what it looks like in reality a lot of times. Um, do you, um, is there any sort of time frame on EMDR is typically done in... 12 to 15 sessions or something like that? Or is that totally a case-by-case thing as well? I mean, you guessed it. It's totally (laughs) case-by-case. But that's actually one of the most common questions that I get. And it really depends on the trauma. Like car crash, I'm just saying car crash because sometimes that's a more baseline trauma. Those can be cleaned out sometimes in like three sessions if a client has all of the previous 
skills, self-regulation, etc. Um, it could even be a client that you saw before who comes back to you and they're just like, hey, this happened. I want to process this through. Boom, hit the ground running. The, the therapeutic rapport is there. So that could be small. And then some people, it's 20 to 30 sessions. Some people, it's 10 to 15. Yeah, depends on the amount of traumas and the length or the duration of how long traumas have gone on for and accumulated to. It's a lifetime or a couple of years, et cetera. Yeah, um, I, and I think that makes sense that it has to be based on the person and the trauma. I think um, I'm not surprised you get that question a lot because I would think there's yes. a lot of people that want to know that because even to make the phone call to address your trauma is a very scary phone call, right? And it is. I think there's a sense of courage in that, but there's also a sense of I'm so terrified and how long am I going to have to endure, endure this, right? Even if there's that hope of getting through it, there could also be kind of the leeriness of how long will this take? So it is so true. And that is why I'm so proud of every single client, mine or anyone else's who chooses to do trauma work, because it takes so much courage, but it's such a life-giving process when people see it through. And what you said too, I really like the question when people ask how long will this take or how many sessions, because psychology is a soft science and I have a love-hate relationship with that but in the medical field we'd have a protocol and it's more clean and trauma kind of flirts with that line of like medical because sometimes there really are medical issues related to it but then like the soft science of psychology too and so it's a very valid question and usually my answer is if it's a small t trauma that'll be a couple of sessions probably but if it there's a lot of traumas or some big t traumas that could be upwards of 10 15 20 um and yeah. then people are like okay I don't know. I, when are you available? Like that's usually how it goes, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So, do you want? Do you think it's better to tell? Do you want us to break down a little bit more of like what that looks like and some of the movement things, or do you want to tell us more of your practical process first? Which is better? Probably practical, um, because. I think it'd be good just for people to have a sense of if, if they're feeling discouraged or intimidated, like you said, about doing trauma work or EMDR, they're like, what is this weird acronym thing that people keep talking about? Um, to just break it down, at least what I do with clients is it, it doesn't look like that at all. It looks like somebody coming into my room and us probably just talking and doing their history and getting an assessment of what's going on, building rapport, understanding the specifics of what they want to get at. And while they're telling me their history, I'm picking out the small T traumas and the big T traumas. And I'm kind of identifying, okay, this is probably the work that we'll do. But then we, we get to this place where the client kind of knows what traumas they want to work on. And from there, that enables them to feel like they're kind of driving a little bit. And that's empowering because it's, it's their healing. It comes from themselves. I'm just facilitating it. And so first, it's just getting to know each other, taking some time to do that. And then you, do, you just kind of know when the client's ready, the client will say it, or I'll be able to sense like, okay, you seem like you might be ready. Let's try some of this resourcing stuff. And when I set up sessions like that, resourcing is not doing any desensitization processing. It's not working through anything. It starts out with me pulling out the audio tack. And the audio tack is one of the versions of the eye movement that you can use. Traditionally, it was you would take a finger and wave it back and forth and people would watch the eye movements, which some people totally swear by and still do. I personally, in my own EMDR work, preferred the audio tech, and I also found that with eye movements, it could actually be a little bit distracting and disorienting for clients and made some people dizzy. So I opt in for that. There's also like a light stream where people can watch the um, light stream go back and forth, but essentially it's called bilateral stimulation, and that's, you're right, 
and your left are activated, either by eye movement, by holding two paddles that vibrate back and forth. And essentially, it's about the two hemispheres of your brain being activated and our eyes in REM sleep move back and forth, back and forth unconsciously when we're dreaming. So it's just this natural way that the brain and body processes information and also calms itself. So, and so I'll explain every... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. sorry. I was just going to jump in real quick and say, um, it, I, I'm guessing the point between the bilateral stimulation is because our right brain is so much of our emotional processing and our left brain is our logical processing. And what I'm gathering is that it's necessary for those two to be on the same page, right? Is that kind of part of the purpose behind this? Yes, ma'am. Okay. That is another fundamental piece of it because when we go through traumas, the logical part of our brain goes offline. It's just the emotional part of the brain encoding that information, which is why it just feels super intense, super zingy, just very emotional, very limbic um, when we are triggered. And that's why we integrate logical and emotional. Um, so yes, you, that actually would be part of what I would explain to a client in a session like this. So that's a perfect addition to it. And so, and then people will ask questions and then as I pull out the audio tech, I'll let them experiment with it and I'll say, okay, this is going to seem totally woo woo and totally weird and that's totally fine. Just go with me on it. If you don't vibe with this, I'll be able to tell, you'll be able to tell. Let's try it out, see how it goes. And so it's, I take a very casual approach to it because it's, it's very vulnerable for clients to try this. And I, I also say, a lot of this is experiential and so we're going to do talking together but a lot of this is going to be internal and I'll have you close your eyes if you're comfortable for that with that or you want to pick an area in the room where you just kind of glance softly but this is more about you doing internal processing through your own stuff and less about me talking with you. We'll do that after. And so that's what I love about EMDR is it allows people to go inwards and the audio tack vibrates back and forth right to left right to left and I my theory at this point, which again, I would want the research to speak for itself, but it's almost like it gives people permission to step into their own brain and kind of go into their own space. And it's also just very calming. I don't know what it is. There's just something very calming about the back and forth, back and forth, because it's the brain's natural calming system. And so we would start off with resourcing and that would be picturing a safe place, nurturing figures, protectors. I won't go into detail about that because I just kind of want to give a brief overview, but that allows people to calm themselves and self-regulate. And then let's say, sometimes that's just a whole session there, but let's say we come back for the next session or we've done this before. We'll pick that initial trigger that happens in the present time. And we typically want to use something that's happening in the present because that's kind of a little um, peephole into what it might be related to. But I'll keep using the horn example. We would use that horn and just have the client notice, like, what's the image that comes to mind? The client might say, oh, I'm, I'm holding both hands on the I have both hands on the wheel of the car and there's this truck over on my side and I hear it and I just get this whole panic throughout my body and then I feel like I'm gonna have a panic attack so we just get that image that one point in time where they're triggered and we notice the emotions and the body sensations and the negative belief around that so the negative belief might be like I'm gonna die or someone's gonna die and they, they'll know that that might not be logical, but that's how they feel. That feels like the negative cognition at the time. And then the formal model is to ask what's the positive cognition? What do you want to be able to believe about this incident? Such as, I'm no one's going to die. I'm totally safe. Nothing's wrong. But oftentimes I just hang out with, okay, what's your emotion? What's your body sensation? What's the negative cognition? And what's the image? And then we just go from there. And what I say is, okay. What I want you to do is allow your mind to just kind of free float back in time without filtering anything. Just let whatever comes up, come up. 
And initially people's response to this is like, you want me to what? And I just say, don't think too much. Just let whatever comes up, come up. And then what will happen just naturally is oftentimes material does start to come up and it surprises people. And it doesn't even have to be traumatic material, but their brain will just go somewhere because there's neural pathways that are already inset there and EMDR kind of taps into those. And then material will come up. So case in point from the earlier example, the horn issue might just spontaneously bring up that material that's actually related to the wakeboarding accident. And then when people make those connections, that in and of itself a lot of the time is the healing. And then we scan through the body and go, okay, what body sensations do you have? I have this tightness in my chest. I feel sweaty. It feels like the water from like the boat. And they're just able to kind of break through all of those pieces of what was encoded during that trauma because their logical brain went offline. It was just the emotional brain at that point encoding information. It's still locked in there. And they make those logical connections and they go, oh, and this, you're tracking something called suds throughout it, which is basically just like on a scale of one to 10, zero to 10, how intense that feelings are in the experiences. So you're tracking that as you go through this and you essentially just go and keep cleaning that out and finesse it. And there's a little bit more involved in that, but that's kind of in a nutshell. And then after that, you help the client contain whatever they did, leave it in the room, go back to the resourcing, safe place, regulate themselves, and then say, okay, this was awesome. We can break it down a little bit and talk about it and then wrap up the session and then maybe pick up where you started. So if it's a clean kind of clear cut thing, it can look like that, but I don't know. It's just kind of an organic process every time. Yeah. That was very long winded. Don't apologize. Do <laughs> don't apologize. This is so fascinating. Um, something that I picked out of this that I think is really cool. I, like I said, I'm not at all trained in EMDR, but one thing I share with a lot of clients is the neuropathways in our brain and that we create these pathways and, um, we follow them, you know, and I always tell people it's like riding a bike. You learned how to ride a bike. Your brain created a pathway. You can leave the bike for five years and go right back to it because there's a pathway for it. And that can be used against us, obviously. Um, in this case, if there's a trauma, there's a pathway for that. And um, what I think is super fascinating is, like I said, I tell people the good news is you can always create new pathways. You can always divert from the bad ones. And EMDR is a very practical um, way to actually do that for the really big stuff. I think people can hopefully be adaptive and learn how to make new pathways for other things, but trauma is sort of a foreign thing. And when you're flooded, it's really impossible, maybe in some ways, to deal with it on your own. Yes. So I think it's, it's neat that it gives an answer to those pathways and kind of getting them off of that track. So... This is also fascinating. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it too, is a lot of the time people will come in and they, they'll say, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Like, I feel like I'm going crazy. And when they realize their brains were just doing what they were supposed to do, it's a natural reaction, fight, flight, or freeze. Your brain goes limbic and it's just emotional, not logical anymore. They realize, oh my gosh, I am not crazy. I'm resilient. Wow, this actually makes sense. And I make more sense to myself and so but yeah that's a really common thing is people feel like they're just losing it all together yeah because they can't it's impossible to see otherwise so um we'll kind of start to wrap up here but i have a another question or two for you so obviously i think you've done a good job of explaining emdr is not for everybody but it also is broad in the sense of what it can treat trauma wise there's no specific trauma no specific time frame um if you are a willing participant, it could potentially help, right? Um, 
What would you say to someone who is on the fence about it? Like they, they have this trauma, they're aware of it. They really don't want to keep living with it, but it just sounds total voodoo. <laughs> what would you say to them to, <laughs> and I know you've explained the process, but what would you say a sort of encouragement wise of how this could really help? Practically speaking, no, I, I love that question because again, theory and practice, it, it is, it just seems so bizarre. Like honestly, my experience initially when I tried it with my therapist when I was 20 or 21, I was like, you want me to close my eyes and hold on to this vibrating thingy and like go to a willow tree? What? Like, I just thought it was so bizarre. But my answer to people like that would be two things. First, if your trauma keeps coming up and it just keeps coming up and it just keeps coming up, that is your trauma telling you that it might be ready to heal. And that's what's beautiful about it. It just, it's organic in the way that it shows itself when it's ready to be worked through. And so almost, you can see that as an invitation and the nerves and the weirdness, that's gonna be there anyways. And in a way, I mean, those are just your protective parts that don't want you to keep hurting, but you're gonna keep hurting because trauma is a lot to carry around. It's too heavy and requires a lot of energy to keep down. And so essentially take that energy that you were gonna take to try and bury it and just call somebody and try it out one, two, three, or one, one, two, or three times. And I think just diving into it and going with it versus being in your head about it would be um, my advice. And then, if anything, like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And that therapist could also just be your talk therapist, and maybe they know IFS or part works, parts work, or other forms of trauma that might kind of fit with how you process. So it's just kind of worth it, but. If it's coming up, it's coming up. Right. That is, um, that's beautifully said because I think obviously the client still has the reins and they still get to kind of have the control. And I think a lot of people need to know that. And um, like you said, I think anyone who's trained in EMDR, just so we've clarified this, um, someone should not be practicing EMDR if they don't have that certification. And if they do have that certification, they have the utmost, uh, you want to make sure you're the right fit with them, but they have the utmost care not to re-traumatize you. So um, other than that, I love how you said that just to kind of give it a shot and see if it works because it's not going to hurt you if that, you know, therapist knows what they're doing. So cool. Definitely. And I think in closure too, trauma, because it's so broad, and I've been using the language small T trauma, big T trauma, which I promised to come full circle with and explain, so I'll explain that. Everyone goes through trauma. The human experience is traumatizing, and trauma teaches us incredible things. It has the ability to mature us in ways that we would have never expected, and that doesn't mean that the initial trauma is in any way something we might have wanted to go through, but it really does have the potential for incredible growth and beauty and healing and so a small t trauma might be just little things that happen like little paper cuts that happen throughout your life and those might happen over time and oftentimes that's where you see some of that attachment trauma that's long standing and decades long that ends up in panic attacks or severe depression or big t traumas but those over time can be just as impactful as big t traumas such as the car crash or a wakeboarding accident or something and so for those who don't know if like their trauma is big enough for EMDR, the answer is all trauma is trauma and each brain encodes experiences differently. And so small T traumas are equally as relevant and can have the same impact over time on the brain as a big T trauma. And so if the question is, huh, I feel like I just have some weird triggers or some things that keep coming up, or I, I know logically I'm okay, but my body is freaking out and the same thing keeps showing up, EMDR, is also suitable for those things because really it's your own self 
helping heal in the way that you need and it's your own brain figuring out what it needs to kind of do that and that's why it's user friendly yes I'm glad you clarified that because you're right there's no I I hear a lot of people try to compare traumas and talk themselves out of their own healing because they think it's not bad enough and that's a bunch of bull (laughs) so I I couldn't agree more I'm glad you kind of clarified that um Well, thank you so much for your expertise. Um, We are going to wrap up today. Thanks for joining us 